Career Curves is pleased to have Groove, maker of the Career Clarity Toolkit, as our sponsor. Are you feeling stuck or trying to figure out what's next in your career? The Career Clarity Toolkit uses design thinking, guided reflection, and career experiments to give you confidence. Go to careercurves.com groove to get started. As a special promotion for Career Curves listeners, use the discount code CURVES to receive 10% off your first order. We've been planning for the August 1st launch of the Career Curves podcast since the fall of 2018. A few months ago, to test the concept, we interviewed each other. This is one of those tests. We're calling it a hidden episode because we aren't doing anything to market its release. We've posted it to give early adopters like you a better sense of what the Career Curves podcast will be about and to share the powerful career advice that came out during the interview. I'm Beth Davies, and I'm the host of this interview. My guest is my partner, Bill Auerbach. We hope you enjoy this preview episode, and please visit careercurves.com to sign up to be notified of our official launch. For some of us, as we grow up, there seems to be a clear path our career is supposed to take. Maybe there's a family business we're expected to move into, or we're in a family full of doctors or farmers or truck drivers, and we're expected to do this too. What happens, though, when this clear path isn't the path we want to take? Welcome to Career Curves. On each episode, we talk to someone who has had an interesting, curvy career to find out how they navigated the twists and turns. We focus on the opportunities and challenges that came their way, digging deep into key decisions they needed to make and how they made them. I'm Beth Davies. Today, we're joined by Bill Auerbach, who started his career by doing what he was supposed to do, working in the family business, before stepping away to become a comedian and serial entrepreneur. This was a step from something safe to something unknown. Bill shares how and why he bucked expectations, the challenges and joys this presented, and advice he has for others thinking of taking the unexpected path. Bill, it's great to have you. Thank you very much, Beth. It's wonderful to be here. So we first met over 20 years ago when you were doing something quite innovative and creative. You were bringing actors, theater, and storytelling into organizations to create powerful training experiences. And I was a buyer of one of those experiences. Yes, you were. (laughs) So I've always known you to be funny and creative and an out-of-the-box thinker. Uh, Is that how your career started? Uh, Not at all. Um, It's interesting. I may even go back to the fact that I was the youngest of three siblings, and um, I had an immigrant father who was a hard worker and worked his way up from literally uh, nothing to having a a business that uh, was able to support the family and uh, and really sort of live the American dream. Uh, What kind of business did he uh, have? It was the wholesale meat distribution business. And, um, you know, so he had built the business up and I worked there during the summers and, uh, and pretty much that's, you know, that's how I learned how to work. And that was something that was very important to him. Um, my mother was a school teacher and, uh, and then she ended up staying at home with us. So it was a very traditional family growing up in, you know, sort of the uh, mid 20th century. Did your family 
um, give you a strong expectation that you were expected to go into your father's business? Um, you know, did people say that, or did you pick it up in the wind? No, I, 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 not so much. I would think in terms of that I would go into the business, but the fact that I would work, uh, that it was important that you should go ahead and work. Actually, I had a, uh, a little detour in, in, in my career, I should say, is I went to college and I got a degree in business economics from UCLA, and uh, the idea was that I was going to become a tax attorney. So uh, I was going to go to graduate school and whatnot, and, and basically uh, I got in uh, to Northwestern University Law School, a fine law school, and um, when I went to uh, orientation, uh, I realized and discovered that I had no desire to be a lawyer, that the, all I really wanted to do was get into law school because that's all my friends were doing, and then I left law school uh, before school even started and ended up back in the family business. So my getting back in the family business was actually a bit of a shock. To, uh, to my father and mother. So I want to actually go back um, just a moment ago because you said that you were an economics major with the plan of being a tax attorney. And I started off by saying that I've always known you to be innovative, creative, and an out-of-the-box thinker, which to me doesn't lead to tax attorney. No. Um, and so how did you end up with that major of economics and even with the idea that you were going to be a tax attorney. Well, as the as I said, as, as the youngest of three kids, uh, I was also very observant as to what my siblings were going through. My oldest sibling, uh, when she went to get a theater degree, uh, that for the working mindset didn't go over as well as perhaps she had thought. And I thought to myself, not doing that. Uh, my brother, um, I'm not uh, I'm trying to think what his degree was in. Um, but either way, he ended up in the family business, but uh, that in and of itself was not something I think he always planned on doing. So for me, it was a matter of, I want to be really clear with my parents as to why I'm going to school and how that's going to lead to me making a living. So the idea of being an accountant and an attorney and be a tax attorney, they, uh, we had a tax attorney close to our family and he seemed to make a lot of money. So uh, that seemed to be the way to go uh, without so, ever giving any considerations to what that looked like. Okay, so you, it sounds like you were at that point very driven by practical, respectable. Without a doubt. Without, and. And so you mentioned that you dropped out of law school before the first day even yep. hit. Um, was that the first inkling that you had, that you were on the wrong path? When did you start to get that sense? You know, I, I, I've, I've told that story to uh, my employees not too long ago, and I realized as I was telling the story that that actually was the beginning of my life because as I was following what I, the path that I thought I should be following, what I didn't realize is I am somebody who was built to be off the beaten path, not on. Some people are good on the path. Some people are off the path. And when I left law school, that began my journey of getting off of the path. Now, I wasn't ready to get completely off, so I went into the family business. But ultimately, what happened was uh, I was not very happy. It's the meat business. And uh, I stopped eating meat in college because I never liked it and uh, got introduced to vegetables and uh, really pretty much became a vegetarian. Uh, so my being in the meat business, there was sort of a real disconnect. And what I had gotten into at that point was uh, I got into an improvisational comedy class. This is in, I'm from Denver originally, and I fell in love with it. It was just, it actually became, those three hours in that class became the highlight of my entire week. Uh, and I sort of suffered through the rest of it until I could get back to my next improv class. You mentioned before that your sister went into theater and that you could see some of the struggle or challenge or maybe perhaps the lack of approval that she was getting. And now suddenly you're doing improv and taking those classes and, and loving that. Was there, what was going on for you internally at, at these times? 
conflict, a lot of conflict. And uh, I will say that um, that plus getting some really good therapy, uh, which was really important because uh, it was interesting, even at the time when my uh, I, I would I'd go to the sessions with a the therapist and he kept asking me, you know, well, I'm coming in, I'm complaining about my brother and my father and the business and blah, blah, blah. He says, well, you always talk about this improvisational thing. That seems to energize you. What, what would you do if you went into that business? And I would, my response was always, it's not going to work. Can't make a living. Not going to do. Not going to do it. And he put up with it until he finally said, "Go ahead and, and humor me. No pun intended. <laughs> Just tell me what you would do." And I said, "Well, I guess if I went into it, which wouldn't work, but if I went into it, I guess I'd go to Chicago and go to Second City, and then I'd get from Second City, and I guess I'd go to Saturday Night Live and become the next Bill Murray. So I guess that's what I would do." And I just remember, maybe I was right here. He says, "Well, why don't you just do that?" And I think. It had been enough time where I, I had to hear somebody say the obvious, and I said, well, maybe I should. And at that point, I realized that and I was the grand old age of 27, um, which, however, in my family's view, I should have been married with kids and, and settled with my job. Um, I felt that while I was debt-free enough and I was single enough that if I didn't try, I all of a sudden had this huge fear that I would look back later in life and regret that I didn't give it a shot. And that really became the impetus of why I moved from Denver to Chicago uh, to get involved with, at that point, Second City had a training center to, to sort of pursue my life in comedy. It's such an important thing that you just said about recognizing in ourselves when we have the ability, the flexibility to make the moves and being able to seize those moments and say, you know, look, if I'm going to make a bold move, if I'm going to at least experiment with being true to myself Right. Now is my now is my opportunity yeah. and, and I need to seize it. And I would sort of and for me, I, I guess I whatever reason, uh, I don't even know where I got exposed to it. It just became a matter of it felt like when I just sort of listened to my gut and I, I just wasn't happy. I wasn't happy. I wasn't energized. I wasn't certainly my social life wasn't good because I wasn't attractive to anybody because I wasn't happy being who I was. And it just became very clear to me that I needed to move. That was sort of my thing. And there wasn't, you know, people uh, often ask me when I got involved with uh, improvisation. And then later I got involved with stand-up when I moved to Chicago. They asked me if I was ever nervous uh, and being able to, to get up in front of an audience of strangers and make them laugh. And I said, well, uh, when I told my father that I was going to leave the family business to move to Chicago to become a comedian, and I survived that, every audience after that was cake. A lot of times people have a hard time getting themselves unstuck and taking the bold move because of that conversation. Do you remember much about that conversation oh, with your father? you betcha. Like how, how did you, yeah, so tell me about that. Like, my, how did my you father that? played it well. I mean, my, so my, my mom, again, playing the sort of the traditional role, I, I told her that I really needed to, to do this and she was being supportive. And How much uh, in advance of telling your father did you tell your mother? Oh, probably maybe a couple of months. I think I kind of kind of worked that out with her. And there was one uh, one evening after dinner, uh, we were sitting at the table, and uh, I told my dad. I says, "Dad, I'm uh, I'm going to leave the business. I'm going to move to Chicago to uh, get involved with comedy." And my father could not have played it better than he did. He looked at me, he picked up, and he walked right out the room. Oh. And I got to tell you, oh. that was. Well played, <laughs> and but I, I, um, 
I, I held my ground. And at that point, I was still working in the meat company. So there was a few months before I moved to Chicago, I realized I needed to make a living. I wasn't going to get supported by my, my family to live where they felt I shouldn't be. Especially so, at 27 years old. Especially at 27 years old. So I went to uh, bartending school, um, which again is an interesting because I'm not much of a drinker, but I had to make a living. And I went to bartending school and received my, uh, my intermediate certificate from the National Beverage Institute, which today is hangs on my wall. Oh. Only job I was ever fired from. <laughs> Not a good bartender. Um, but did you um, end up doing that while you were going to I did. school? I did. I, I uh, When I moved to Chicago, I got a job uh, as a bartender, and um, which was interesting. I mean, I learned a lot about myself. You learned a lot about being in a different environment. Learned a lot about not being um, the boss. Uh, when I would sit down and have conversations, because I came from the family business, so I was used to having conversations with my father and brother about the business, and I'm sitting down with the owner of the bar and asking him about business. And he looks at me like, uh, you're the bartender. You're a bartender. Go. Why are you asking me about business? <laughs> and I was like, uh, this is different. Okay, I guess I'm just a worker here, so I'll do yeah, that. And yeah. it was, it was an interesting. I still have yeah. a brain. I still yeah. have a brain. It was an interesting experience and, uh, and a sobering one. And like I say, they, uh, I was about 11 months or nine months into it. I was fired because I think business was down. I was low man on the totem pole, but they, they told me that uh, I had overcharged someone for a drink, and that's where they were firing me. And I kept thinking, I don't think that's... Because I will admit, one thing I did learn from my parents was how to work. And after I uh, got fired from that job, I then actually went to Second City, and I became a dishwasher. dishwasher. And I was a dishwasher at the Second City. And an interesting story about that was um, one day, a uh, particularly busy night at Second City, which is the improv capital of the world in Chicago. One of the waitresses comes in and she says, I got to tell you, Bill, you are the best dishwasher we've ever had. And I'm going, oh, okay. I'm thinking, what do I do? She goes, well, you, you actually cleaned the dishes. And I thought, that's my job. But what was interesting to that point, I realized I had learned from my parents that whatever the job may be, whether you're you know running a meat business or you're bartending or you're cleaning glasses, you do the best job you can or you don't do it. And I have to tell you, it was just a really great, it's like, no, I didn't want to do that very long. I didn't make any money and, but whatnot, it was like, you you have to work. And I think that really helped me uh, evaluate where my career would go from there. So I think what's interesting to me is what I'm hearing in you is a work ethic that you learned at at an early age, uh, but also integrity. Yeah. And so even something like the dishwashing, no matter what you're doing, right, I'm going to do it well because I've got integrity and I'm going to stand, I'm going to stand behind my well, work. Well put. That, uh, that was the key message from uh, both my folks was, you know, you have your name and your reputation and it's hard to build and easy to lose. And that has to be your, your number one asset. And, and my attitude was, was that I knew I needed to get into, if I wanted to be involved in comedy, then for me, it was more important that I was making a living doing that. I didn't want to just be a bartender or a dishwasher who then found ways to do it because I was going to classes and, you know, in Chicago, you get stage time. And so what I was able to do is I auditioned for a group uh, called Wavelength, which was a uh, improvisational group based out of Chicago that did shows for schools, for teachers, as well as for kids. And I will tell you, that's where I got my acting chops, because when you get in front of kids, you learn a lot about connecting to your customer and getting them satisfied and interested and engaged really fast, because they give you about 10 seconds, uh, and either you have them or you don't. You know, there's so many times 
um, that we have that experience where we think we want one thing, like you had mentioned that you wanted um, to get onto SNL. But then a different opportunity comes up, like you're saying, to be able to do comedy with kids. And we could look at that and say, oh, this isn't what I wanted. This isn't what I'm going for. Uh, Or we could look at it and say, you know, it may not be the exact path I had in mind to get myself to SNL, uh, but I'm going to learn something while mm-hmm. I'm here. Well, you know, I think what really helped, um, and I don't know if I realized it at the time, but it certainly has helped me as, as I look back, was I was clear on my goal. And my goal was I wanted to make a living as a comedian or an improvisational actor. So therefore, I opened myself up to opportunities. I was <clears throat> always uh, interested when I went to audition for this, for Wavelength, for the, the group for the, uh, the, 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 the schools, how many of the people who were in the improvisational world that I was in who, weren't, who didn't show off those, those auditions. And I made a living doing that for a couple of years. I mean, it wasn't a, a great living, but I could say that I actually was making a living as an improviser. And that was my goal. So I think yeah. by, I, I, by having a goal and saying, okay, I'm going to do that. And to get into Second City was very difficult. I mean, I auditioned for Second City and uh, didn't get in and didn't really surprise me that I didn't get in, but because there's a lot of people who are my type and whatnot. And so therefore the path to Saturday Night Live didn't, uh, didn't really happen, though I did get a chance to work with some wonderful people like Chris Farley and Mike Myers and, uh, and you know, a lot of group people who were really cool to say, hey, I was that's on stage cool. with him once. Yeah, that's very um, cool. But I will say that it certainly opened up my eye to saying, if you want something, be clear what you want and then be open to getting there another way because the way you think it's going to happen is rarely ever going to be that way. But at least be clear as to what you want to get and open yourself up to other ways yeah, of getting there. So and this smart. Was, it was fascinating. So smart that it wasn't that you wanted to be on SNL. It's that you wanted to make a living doing comedy and right. improv. And, and once you started to learn more about the business, you found that there were other ways to do that. Right. And but then to your point I'm, I'm, for bringing up the business, I also realized quickly that there was show business. And so a lot of folks would go into that and want to just sort of focus on just the talent and the show. But there's a lot of people with talent. But to see it as a business, meaning you need to get paid. Somebody needs to choose to utilize your talents was a really, and I think maybe even having those few years in business, I approached it in a different way than I may have done it if I'd gone, let's say, straight from school where I hadn't had that business experience. At least for me, I was able to utilize, and, and my pre-business experience wasn't the, the happy place for me, but I got something out of it. And that was that you learn how to persuade people to buy your product, whether it's meat or it's your comedic services or whatever. That was a, that was a big learning that, that I get out of that. So you stayed at Wavelength for how long? I was at Wavelength for two and a half years. Uh, and then at the same time, I met uh, somebody who was uh, exploring a a opportunity with Wavelength because they also had a corporate uh, division where they would go into companies and they would utilize humor as a way to communicate. Uh, and then him and I um, started talking and uh, we, we hit it off and we decided to work together. Uh, and that was the company that you saw that, that we worked with. And, um, you know, we were, uh, it, was, it was fascinating because I really got a chance to do what I love to do which was the theater, but also since it was a small business, um, got an opportunity to bring some of my business skills because I would be doing things like um, setting up the shows or operations. I was doing the books because I had the skill to do that. It was, it was a wonderful experience, and I got a chance to, to see that it is possible to, um, as I like to say, have your cake and eat it too. Um, but, you know, and I learned a lot about business, so uh, it was very interesting. What's interesting, um, too, in your story here is that we may think that we're on a single path and that we've left something like you left business, you Mm -hmm. left the meat business, you left 
um, business to, to go do comedy. Yet the truth is that that was hanging out there. It was still right. affecting how right. you were thinking well about everything you were doing. And then you had this opportunity in the future to bring the two together. Mm-hmm. You know, I have to admit, it's been very interesting because, uh, so the company that, that I was with before, I ended up, uh, it was called the Breakthrough Group, and then I left in uh, 2008. I did not realize how bad the economy was. I, I'm a risk taker, but I don't think I would have been that kind of a risk taker. But it was time for me to move on. And um, I really, I reached out and I discovered that I had a network of people uh, because of some other experiences that I had done. And I am a natural introvert, though I've learned how to play extrovert. Um, but I did it by uh, really spending time learning from other people how they built their businesses. Tell me a little bit more about the the thought process of, of that transition. So we're going to just go back a little bit. So you're in, you've been in a company with a partner for 17, 17, years, years. Yeah, 17 years. While you're doing that business, you have four children mm-hmm. and a dog. Um, and, a, and a wife. And so, not necessarily in that order. Not yes. necessarily in that order, right. And uh, you were able to move from Denver to Chicago for Second City because your life had none of those things right. and you had all this freedom. So now you're at this other point where you've got quite a few responsibilities and commitments to others. And you've got what some people might say feels very safe, which is a business you've been in for 17 years. Tell me about that navigating that next change, the one that had you say, you know, yes, I'm going to make the bold move to go out on my own. Were there conversations you had to have with your family? Were there conversations you had to have with yourself? Um, yes, yes, and, and, and yes. And I also had conversations with some, some, uh, some, some people I had met who became um, either coaches or confidants or, or mentors to me. Um, you know, I think for, for me, one of the things that had helped is I had established for myself during uh, this period when I was with this, uh, this business during the 17 years of what were the things that really mattered to me. And I realized that um, I really needed to have, I needed to feel like the sky was the limit. I could reach for the stars whether I actually got to them or not. And I think when the um, economy got bad and the model, our live delivery model um, was something that uh, my partner then really believed in because um, it was just something that, you know, he had a lot of, a lot invested in. Um, I, I realized that I needed to switch and I needed to sort of pivot and go, you know something, it may be, it may be true, things may turn around, but I'm not seeing the stars because I just, it didn't make logical sense to me. Um, I even had a friend of mine who I sat down and he said, look, when I first met you five years ago, are you where you hoped you'd be five years ago? And I said, unfortunately not. He said, well, then if you keep things the way they are, do you think you'll be where you want to be in five years? And I said, no. He says, well, then it's time to move on. And it was hard because having that conversation with my partner at the time was the second most difficult conversation I had to telling my father I was leaving Denver and to telling my partner at the time I was leaving that business uh, to go out on my own. It was very difficult. Uh, We had been together for a long time. Um, But having those conversations with, uh, like I said, my mentor, uh, having conversations with my wife, uh, the, the support of my wife was, it couldn't have happened otherwise. And she, uh, she said, yeah, you, you need to go for it. And so that, that kind of stuck with me. It's like, okay, the brutal facts are, is this is not a good economy. The brutal facts are, is I actually don't have any experience in, in human resources. I've just worked with them for many years. Um, but if I believe in it strong enough, and, and the other brutal fact was I didn't want to get a job and I wanted to build something. I wanted to build a business. I wanted to build something that was bigger than I could uh, in terms of produce myself on my own. Because I just felt as I would get older, I'm just going to get a little bit slower. And I, it's like I wanted to actually try to build something. Uh, and then I had people who believed in me and uh, I believed in them. 
And so where is the business now? Business, I'm happy to say we've uh, just uh, actually in our 11th year of business and we have provided what we provide is um, coaching services to help develop core leaders in businesses. Uh, The core leaders are really those people who are really important to the future of the business, which is anywhere from a first time manager through the C-suite, depending on the size of the company. Uh, It's all done virtually. Uh, so we're able to leverage and it gives us a chance to have a distributed model and bring the cost down so people can get a live coach real time um, and and really help them develop in the way that they need to develop on an individual and an organizational basis. Yep. And so since I've known you now as long as I have the 20 years, it's been actually really fun to watch you grow this business because I know I talked to you when you were um, just having the idea back in 2008, You were one of the first five, right? I was so there's five yep. people and you were yeah. one of them, right? And now I know you have uh, quite a team of people working in your organization. It's how big now? Well, we have uh, 20 employees and we work from a, uh, a coaching network of uh, close to 100 people yeah. globally. So congratulations. So thank you. That's, that's, it's, it's, it's really It's, it's really exciting. Yeah, it's, it's very it's exciting. <laughs> um, and it is called Coaching Right Now. I, coaching Right Now. You absolutely can can plug that. So Coaching Right coaching Now. CoachingRightNow.com. <laughs> so now that you are a... Um, uh, the owner essentially of a family business and you've got four kids. Do you think they feel any uh, pressure or any responsibility to join you in the business? Uh, not at all. Uh, you know, I've, I've actually, and I learned this, I think along the way is, is it's important to build the business um, with the intention of selling it um, because you just, you build it that way. Uh, you build it, you, you're very disciplined in terms of how one runs a business. Um, it doesn't mean that they couldn't if they wanted to, but I really, um, Never had sort of an attention because I think the thing about a uh, family business is it can be uh, complicated bringing in family relationships, um, and so therefore people have to be really want to do it. And, and even if even if someone wanted to work, when any of my kids wanted to come to the business, I would uh, have them work at a competitor or somewhere else so they can learn business beforehand, so they're bringing skills to the table, not the, beyond just their genetics. As you think about your career, as you look back, any any regrets? Um. Honestly, not that I can think of. I think uh, I really, because I was, I was focused on not having regrets. And I think one of the key philosophies that I learned about myself was that the fear of not trying was greater than the fear of failure. If you could give one piece of career advice to your younger self, what would it be? Uh, don't waste as much energy worrying about the future. You have to you have to have your eye on the prize, knowing where you want to go, but then you got to focus on executing, and you have to focus on pivoting and learning, and you'll get to where you're supposed to get to. And um, you may have a goal, you may think it's it's one thing, but life should be a really nice journey of learning a lot. And um, I would say don't waste the energy worrying about what you think you should be doing. Uh, Pay attention to where you are and what energizes you, and that will get you where you need to go. Well, great. Thank you. In spite of the fact that I've known you for 20 years, I still get to learn about you all the time, and I've learned a lot about you today. So thanks so much for the Thank you very much, Beth. Hey, listeners, don't hit stop quite yet. There are some things I want to encourage you to do. First is to visit careercurves.com to join the conversation about this episode. We respond to questions from our audience, so don't be shy about asking. While at CareerCurves.com, check out our other episodes and the resources we've posted to help you navigate the curves in your career. And finally, please be sure to tell your friends about the Career Curves podcast and like us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. 
Thanks a lot for listening. Take care.